This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Evan Havens and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. So Pastor Stormy and Shelley are still in Israel, which I think is an amazing opportunity to be able to walk the very places that Jesus walked when he was on the earth. And so if you would continue to keep them in their prayers, they do get back this week. And I count it as an honor and a privilege to get to speak the word to you guys this morning. And so before we start, before we get into the word, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use my mouth today, that you would anoint my words. And I thank you, Lord, that this message is your message to your people. And I pray that you would use me as a vessel in Jesus' name. Amen. So my prayer for you today is that you open up your heart and your mind to receive the word that your heart is like tilled up soil, that there's no rocks in it, that there's no stony path, that there's no weeds that are here to choke the word out of your heart, but that you receive it and it produces a harvest in your life. And there was once an elderly lady and she came from church on a Wednesday Wednesday night and was on her way home. And this lady lived by herself. And when she got to her house, she realized that something was wrong. The door, the front door had been kicked in. All of her belongings were strewn about the floor in the living room. And she was filled with fear at first. And then she did the only thing and the best thing that she knew to do. And that was, quote, scripture. And then she realized that the intruder was still in her house. And she heard rustling in the back bedroom. And so she calls out in a loud voice. She says, Acts 2.38. And Acts 2.38 says, turn from your sin and you will be saved. And so this intruder, much to her surprise, he comes out of the bedroom and he's got his hands up like this and he says, okay, okay, okay. And he gets on his knees and he just stays there like that. So the lady calls the police and very calmly tells them exactly what happened and the police get there as fast as they can. And when they arrive, the guy still, he's got his hands up and he's on his knees. So the police ask the man, what about that scripture was terrified you so much? And the guy, as they're handcuffing him and putting him in the police car, he says, Scripture? What scripture? That crazy lady has an axe and two 38s. Bible jokes are the best. So today, I'm going to talk to you and speak a word that the Lord put in my heart for you this morning. Every single one of you, God's got a purpose for you in this place. And this message is called Get in the Word. See, we not only have a tool, we don't only have a blueprint for us to live our lives by, but we've been given a lifeline. We've been given a life source. And these pages contain the greatest story ever told. It's a love story and a story of redemption. These pages tell the story of a God who formed us out of the dust of the ground and breathed the very breath of life into our nostrils. These pages tell of how he created a beautiful and perfect world for us to live in. And he gave us dominion and charge over the world. Not only that, but he literally walked the face of the earth with mankind. But us as mankind, us as people, we broke the covenant that God set between us. And the one rule that he gave us, we broke that rule. And we brought sin and death into the world. And it severed our relationship with God. But the rest of the 66 books penned by 40 different writers over a period of 1,500 years 
The rest of these pages tell of God's redemption for us. How he loved us so much that he sent his son into the world. And at the climax of the greatest story ever told, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, never sinned, never made a mistake, took the punishment that you and that me deserve. And he died on the cross for our sins. When he did that, he reconciled that relationship that we can have with God. And now we get to walk with God once again. And the rest of this book tells us that our Savior who loves us is coming back. And in these last days, and I believe it's getting closer and closer and closer, he's coming back for his bride, which is the church, which is you and me. And then we will know him fully, just as we are fully known. We find all of this, this great love story in the pages of this book. Get in the word. So when Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, we find that story in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter three. And I want you to turn there in your Bibles. Genesis chapter three. I want you to take notes today because I want you to be able to meditate on the word of God after you leave from this place. The bulletins that you got have a place on the back for you to take notes on. And there's pins in the back of every seat. In Genesis chapter three, we're gonna start in verse one. And Satan's tactic, when he approached Adam and Eve, his tactic, his goal was to deceive them and his goal was to get them to sin, get them to mess up so that the relationship with God would be broken. And his tactic was to cast doubt on the word of God. Genesis 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now this crafty serpent knew exactly what God had said. What God had told Adam and Eve was that they could eat from any tree that they wanted except one. He said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan, the serpent, he came to Eve and he cast doubt on the word of God. It was his tactic in the very beginning. And to this day, it's still the enemy's tactic. That's still what he uses to deceive us. And the Bible says that in these last days, even the elect will be deceived if that were possible. So how do you keep from being deceived you get in the word. But he's trying to cast doubt. That's his goal for each and every one of us is that he casts a doubt on the word of God. And with sorrow in my heart, I report to you today that there is a church in this city. And from the pulpit at this Christian church in this city, Lubbock, Texas, they are preaching that the first 12 chapters of Genesis never happened. The first 12 chapters of Genesis were written by human hands out of human intuition, and they were stories that were made up to prove a point. The first 12 chapters of Genesis include the creation of mankind. They include how God created the world. They include the story of the fall of man and how we need a savior. It includes Cain and Abel, the Tower of Babel, the story of Noah and the worldwide flood, and the call of Abraham who God said, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And this church, from the pulpit, they're saying that those things never happened, that they're not true, because Satan is casting doubt on the word of God. 
See, Moses was the writer of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that, the first five books of the Bible were referred to in Jewish time as the Torah or as the Pentateuch. And it was Jewish custom that in school, everybody was required to memorize the first five books of the Bible. It was their law. It was what they lived by. And so they memorized them and they lived by them. And in John chapter 5, in verse 46, Jesus is talking to religious leaders. And they're telling him, hey, listen, we believe Moses. We believe the first five books of the Bible But who are you? Why are you calling yourself the son of God? We don't believe what you're saying at all. And here's what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 46. He says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This book, Jesus says, is either all true or none of it's true. And we serve a God who gave us a guide to live by, and this book is all true, every word printed on every page. And today I want to show you 10 truths about the Word of God, and I'm going to take you on a whirlwind tour through the Word of God. I'm not going to leave time for you to turn to each passage, but I want you to write these passages down. They'll each come up on the screen, and I want you to go back and meditate on these later. But I want to show you through the Word exactly who it is that we serve. First of all, the word of God is the inspired word of God. Yes, there were 40 men that penned these words, but there's only one author. And that author is the Lord God himself. Turn with me in the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, and it says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. This says, all scripture, everybody say all scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 20 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The words in this book are not man's words. Men penned these words as they were inspired by God. This is the Word of God. Not only that, but it is infallible and inerrant. The second truth of the word of God, it is infallible and inerrant. Those are big words that we don't use on a regular basis, but they're easy. The word infallible means incapable of being wrong. And the word inerrant means it contains no errors. Look in the book of Psalms, chapter 12, chapter 18, I'm sorry. Psalms 18, verse 30. It says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Look at the book of Psalms chapter 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts or the rules of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And I love this part in verse 10. More to be desired they are than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Psalm chapter 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. It says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. All the way in the New Testament in Luke chapter 21. In 33, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And in John chapter 10, at the bottom half of verse 35, it says, and scripture cannot be broken. This is the inspired word of God written by one author, and every word in Scripture is true. Since every word in Scripture is true, and since God, the Bible says, cannot lie, then that means that the third truth of Scripture is that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Turn to Psalms chapter 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. And then in Jeremiah chapter one, verse 12, it's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. And it says, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. And the picture I get is that God is looking out on the earth, looking out on his people, looking for people who will quote the word of God over their situation, who will stand on the promises in scripture and believe that it is fully true and take God at his word because he's watching for his word to perform it. The fourth truth of scripture, God's word is our life source. Whenever Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus combated him with scripture. See, Satan tried to cast doubt on the word of God even to Jesus, God's son. But Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's our life source. The fifth truth of scripture is that this is not just a book. This is not just the best-selling book of all time. This is not just ink on paper bound in leather. This word is living and it's active. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And I love the way that this verse is, is written in the message translation. It says, The word of God is powerful and it's sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, and laying us open to listen and to obey. This word is not just stale, stagnant words written on a page. It's not just words that were penned over a course of 1,500 years, several thousand years ago. This word is living and active today in your life. The sixth truth of the word of God is that the word of God sanctifies us. Sanctify is a word that we read throughout scripture, but it's not one that we use every day. It's really simple. It means to set apart for a specific purpose, to free us from sin, or to purify us. 
Think of the word sanctify like a washing or a cleansing. And in the book of John, chapter 17, the Lord Jesus is praying to Father God for his disciples. And these are the words he says, I have given them, your disciples, your word. And the, word, the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he says in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God cleanses us. Seventh truth of the word of God is that it builds faith. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Now the Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. I don't know about you, but I want to be labeled as a person that pleases God. So how do I get faith? Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do you build faith? Get in the word. The eighth truth of scripture is that the word of God brings freedom. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time in your life, I can guarantee that you have heard this verse in John chapter 8. And you probably have this verse written on a t-shirt and you probably have it, you know, on the, uh, the picture frame or the poster in your house. You might have even have created an Instagram post with this verse typed on there. And John 8.32 says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here's the problem, and here's what we miss a lot of times. That word does not start with a capital letter. That sentence is not the beginning of a thought. The beginning of the thought comes in the verse before it. And John 8.31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if, everybody say if. if. If you abide in my word, abide means to live in, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Freedom comes from this word. The ninth truth of scripture is that this is a spiritual book and it was written by a spiritual being and it's only understood through the power of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 6, verse 63, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And in John chapter 14, verse 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Have you ever been in a situation and you're like, I know that there's a scripture that tells me exactly what to do right now, but I can't remember it. See, the Holy Spirit told, or God told the, Holy, the disciples that when the Holy Spirit came, he would remind them of Jesus' words. The Holy Spirit is here. He came in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And we have the Holy Spirit when we ask for him. And he brings understanding to the words in this book. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10 it says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. The Spirit that understands the depths of God is living on the inside of us that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, 
interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. See, we are spiritual beings. Yes, we have a body. Pastor Stormy calls this our earth suit because we only possess it for a little while. The Bible says that our life is but a vapor. But we are a spirit. And one day we will live with Jesus in heaven as spirits. We were created by a spiritual being. And these are spiritual words that are only understood through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in my life, I used to read the word of God out of obligation. And my thought was, I'm a Christian and and I've accepted Jesus into my heart, so I should read the word of God. That's what Christians do. And you can imagine how well that turned out for me. But I would read it every once in a while when I got a chance. And it was very, very dry to me. And I would even read, read through a whole chapter and then get to the end and be like, what? I, I, don't, I don't even understand what I just read. I don't even know what I just read. Oh, well, I'll get it tomorrow. But I started inviting the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom and to give me understanding as I read the word of God. Because I started to recognize that this isn't just a book, this is a spiritual book. And so now I open up my Bible at my kitchen table in the mornings and I've set an appointment with God and I keep that appointment. And every day I'm diligent to get in the word of God and it is a discipline. It's something that you have to discipline yourself to do. But when I open up this book, I ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you open up my eyes to the truths in this book? Don't let me be spiritually blind to any concept. Help me to understand it the way that Father God intentioned it to be understood. And then as I read, I can't tell you how alive these pages come to me. I open up this book and I haven't read it out of obligation. I, I literally have a love for the word of God in my heart. But the Spirit brings that, the Holy Spirit. And he'll bring it to you too if you'll ask him. Invite him into your daily reading times and make it a discipline that you are going to spend time in the word of God every day. So this is a spiritual book. The 10th truth about the word of God is that, like I said earlier, this book is a love story. But a love story is not one-sided. Love stories are always two-sided. And so the words in these pages, that's God's love story to us. But what do we say back to him or how do we express our love back to him and then the last truth of the word of God that I'm going to go with today is in John 14 and verse 23 and it says Jesus answered him if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him so what's your expression of love back to father God obey the words that he wrote in these pages And how can we obey it if we don't have our face in his book every day? How can we obey it if we don't know the word? And so the word of God is the inspired word of God. It is not written by human wisdom or human knowledge. It was written by one author, and that's the creator of the universe. It's infallible and inerrant. It contains no errors. Every word is true. God keeps his word. God's word is our life source. It's not just a book. It is living, and it's active. The word of God sanctifies, washes, and purifies us. It builds faith. It brings freedom. It's, the, it's a spiritual book written by a spiritual being, only understood through the Holy Spirit. And this is God's love story to us, and our expression of love back to him is that we keep his word. This is the God that we serve. Come on, let's give him praise. If Satan has been able to cast doubt on the word of God in your heart, then I pray that this morning, 
that the truth of the word of God would bring freedom in your heart and that you would realize that this is our life source. And those of you who have tried to live without it, I pray that today's the last day that you've tried to read or live your life without the word of God being on the inside of you. So I wanna help you more today and I want to give you three pictures of the word of God. I wanna show you three things through scripture that we can look back and say, how do we use the word of God? Why do I need it so badly in my life? And the first picture of the word of God is that it is a GPS. My first thought was to say the word of God is a compass, but then nobody used the compass anymore. So GPS it is. And it's a global positioning system. And just like our cell phones, when we pull it out and we say, hey Siri, take me to Walmart in Rio Dosa, New Mexico. And she lays out the map for you and you've got the whole thing. You see the beginning point, you see the path that you're gonna take, you see the ending point. But not only that, but the GPS also tells you step by step, direction by direction, what you're supposed to do. And it says, in 500 feet, make a left. In three miles, you're going to get off at this particular exit. Now we choose whether to listen to the GPS or not to listen to the GPS. I have personal experience where I've gotten to a lot of trouble from not listening to the GPS. But that's what the word of God does. You see, God has a will for each and every one of us. But there are two types of the will of God. First is God's general will. That's God's will for all of us, every single one of us. Things like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Bring all your tithings to the storehouse. Love your neighbor as yourself. Give and it will be given to you. Don't judge others lest you be judged. Do not murder, don't steal. Those things are God's general will, will for us. And it's his command that all of us follow his general will. But there's a second type of the will of God and that's God's specific will. Every person that he created, every person that ever has lived, every person that's living, and every person that ever will live, God has a specific will and a specific plan for their lives. He has a specific plan for your life. And we have a choice whether to walk in his specific plan or not to. And we get guidance from this word. Turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 30, and verse 21. Isaiah, chapter 30, verse 21. And it says, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. You'll hear that word behind you saying, this is the way. And many of you know my in-laws, Mark and Penny Groom. They're board members here at the church. And when they first met, they have a really interesting story. I want to share it with you. So Mark was living in Minnesota, and he was managing a toy store. Well, the company sent him down to Lubbock, where Penny and her family lived, to open up and manage the new KB Toys in the mall. How many of you guys remember KB Toys in the mall? You have to be a little older. Okay. So he came down into Lubbock, but he didn't know anybody. He had no family here, no friends here. He really didn't have anybody. But he was invited to go to this church, and he went. And the church that he went to was the church that Penny and her family called home. And so that first Sunday he was at church, he met Penny and her family. Well, he kept going to the church, and they became friends. And Mark really started to like Penny. And Penny really started to like David. And so there was this kind of like this unbalance. And, and 
And so Penny is, is dating David and Mark wants to date Penny. And then David gets sent out. He was in the Air Force and he got deployed. And so they decided, you know what, let's not stay dating, let's not keep this relationship going. We still like each other, but let's just see where this leads. And so he went off and Penny started to like Mark then too. So now they like each other and they start dating and it's really going well. But then David gets sent back early. He gets sent back three months early. And so now Penny's got this decision to make. Like, I really did like David and I really do like Mark and I don't know what to do. But Penny had a mom, many of you remember, Grandma Sue. And Grandma Sue loved the Lord and she loved the word. And she was praying one day and she said, Lord, my daughter needs direction and she's seeking direction from you. Who you're gonna marry is a huge decision and she needs your guidance. And so as Grandma Sue began to pray, the Lord told her, go to Psalms 37, 37. And so in Grandma Sue's King James Bible, she opened up to Psalms 37, 37. And the words of Psalm 37, 37 say this, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. <laughs> so Grandma, I, can I don't know what she was doing, but I imagine she was sitting in a rocking chair, and she kind of looked up. Okay. The Lord says, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. So her King James Bible, she turns 2 Timothy 4, 11, and that verse says, take Mark, for that man will be useful to me in ministry. <laughs> and Grandma Sue's like, Okay. I got a God. Mark's the one. Now, Grandma Sue did not say, Penny, thus, well, she had not that deep of a voice, but Penny, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt marry Mark. She let Penny seek the Lord for herself, but she did tell them that story after they got engaged. She told them how the Lord had guided her through his word. And you know, the rest is history. They've been married well over 30 years. They had two daughters. One of them is my wife. So thank you, Grandma Sue, for listening to the word of the Lord. But God's good. And God guides us through his word, both in his general will and in his specific will. The second picture I want to show you of the word of God is that the word of God is a light. So turn now to the book of Psalms 119. And you notice we've been in Psalms 119 a lot today. It's the longest chapter in all of scripture. And it's filled with wisdom about the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 103, it says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And then it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, if you lived back in David's time, whenever he was writing this, you would have understood light a lot differently than we understand it now. So we understand that light is literally everywhere. I mean, you're driving down the highway and there's a light every 10 feet or so. If you need to see something in the dark, you pull out your cell phone, you turn on the light and it illuminates everything. But back in biblical times, obviously there's no electricity. Obviously there's no cell phones. And so they used lamps. And a lamp was like a bowl made of clay and the bowl had oil in it and then a wick to light it. They didn't necessarily carry these lamps around with them because this type of lamp, the, the oil would have spilled out. But what this is talking about is when they were in caves. And the cave was so pitch black that not even the moonlight would enter the cave. No matter how long you sat in the cave and you let your eyes adjust to the darkness, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Pitch, utter, black darkness. But they would light these lamps. And the lamp would illuminate the whole cave. 
You see, there's this misconception in Christianity that there's a struggle between light and dark. And, and light's kind of winning for now, and then dark's kind of winning for now, and it's this huge struggle. But can I tell you something this morning? There is no struggle between light and dark. Think about it. If you're in a pitch black room, you turn on a light and instantly darkness flees. Light dispels darkness. Darkness doesn't even necessarily exist. You know what darkness is? Darkness is the absence of light. And so maybe there's darkness in your heart today in the form of depression or anxiety. Maybe there's darkness in your heart in the form of addiction to drugs, alcohol, pornography, sexual sin. Maybe there's darkness in your heart in the form of racism or hatred towards other people. See, our world is filled with darkness, but we have a light. And that light is the word of God. And if you will fill your life with the word of God on a daily basis, like I said earlier, disciplined to get into the word of God, then darkness will flee. Does that mean it's going to be easy, that every step's going to be sure? No. But it means we have a light. See, there was a man, and he approached his pastor because he was struggling. And he said, Pastor, I want to serve God. I want to love God. I want to live my life for him. But there's, I've allowed pornography into my life. And every time I close my eyes, that's all I see is those images. And every time I'm alone, that's all I can think about is those things that I've seen. And the pastor told him, well, you're full of darkness. Your life is filled with darkness. And he said, if you'll turn on a light, the darkness will flee. And so he told the man, get in your word every single day for one month and watch how God changes your heart. And so the man was skeptical, but he did it. And he went and he read the word of God every single day for a month. And he went back to the pastor to report after the month was over. And he said, pastor, I'm a changed man. I'm not even the same person. He said, I can close my eyes and I don't see those images anymore. And they're fading farther and farther into the background. He said, I don't feel like the darkness is clouded around me anymore. I see light. The word of God is a light and light by nature instantly dispels darkness. So if you're full of any type of darkness in your life this morning, turn on the light of the word of God and be disciplined to get in the word. So the word is a GPS and it guides us in God's general will and in his specific will. The word of God is a light that dispels darkness and lastly this morning, the word of God is a sword. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Way back in the New Testament. Now Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus to tell them how they should live as new Christians, new believers. And Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not in our own strength. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against people. We're not fighting against bosses, against spouses, against kids. Our battle, our fight is with the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We're fighting against a real enemy, but it's not an enemy of this world. <clears throat> and then in verse 13, he says this again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Now, anytime you're reading through scripture and you see something repeated like that, he said it twice in just a couple of verses. Put on the whole armor of God. That's done for emphasis. We need the whole armor. 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. Every part of the armor that I just read is a defensive piece of armor. You've got the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, and the shield of faith. But a lot of times as Christians, we neglect to put on the whole armor. And we miss the last piece. And sure, we're protected, but we have no weapon. And the last part of verse 17 says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We have a weapon. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is against the principalities and the rulers and demonic forces that are at work in your life. But we're not left on our own to fight this battle. We're not left with just defensive armor. We're given a weapon. But too many of us, we leave our weapon on a shelf collecting dust. And we never use it, we never look at it, we never apply it to our lives. And so yeah, I've got the helmet of salvation and I've received salvation through Jesus and I've got the breastplate of righteousness and I try my best to live righteously and the gospel is a part of my life and thus my shoes and the belt of truth and the shield of faith, but I'm constantly getting knocked back and knocked down. Yeah, Satan can't take my life, I've got the armor, but I'm getting knocked back and knocked down. And I'm not any use for the kingdom of God. And two things happen. Either I keep getting knocked back and knocked back and knocked back, or I live my life in the fetal position with the shield above my head like this, trying my best just to survive. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you. He wants you in a place where you're fearful and just trying to survive. But we weren't left just to survive. We were given the sword of the Spirit. And it's the Word of God. Don't leave your word dusting on, or getting dusty on a shelf. Pick it up, apply it to your life, get in the word every day. My mom is a prayer warrior and she loves the word of God. She's got this whole setup in one of the rooms in her house and she's got like this basket with all her different Bibles and her notebooks and everything and she sets it down and every day she gets into the word. And she has this thing that she calls her prayer journal. And when mom lets you read her prayer journal, you know that you're gonna start crying. So get your Kleenex box ready as you read the prayer journal. But in black, in her prayer journal, my mom writes prayers for her children and for her husband and for any other people in her life that the Lord puts on her heart to pray for. She writes those prayers down. She brings them before the Lord. But in red, my mom writes scriptures that align with God's word in that situation. And she writes down, she'll be praying for somebody and she'll write scriptures and speak those scriptures and proclaim those scriptures. It's the sword that she's got in her hand. My sister started foster caring and obedience to God several years ago. And she had some kids come into her house and leave. And anybody that's ever been in foster care knows that it is kind of heartbreaking because you take these kids into your home and you love them, but then almost always they go on to the next place. And so her goal was to be able to love kids while they were in her home. There's this one girl, and she was given to my sister when she was 10 weeks old. And the reason she was given to my sister was because her parents 
uh, were constant drug abusers, and they also, when the baby was taken from them, they were fist fighting while one of them was holding her. She's in an extremely dangerous situation. When my sister held this 10-week-old baby for the very first time, she knew, this one's different. This is supposed to be my daughter. I'm supposed to adopt her. And that's what she felt like the Lord had spoken to her. But the enemy had a different plan. And you cannot imagine the onslaught of things that came against the plans of God. CPS would call my sister and say, get, get Charlie ready because we're gonna come get her because we found this distant relative. She's only 99 and a half years old and she's living in this, some other state. And so we're gonna send, it's the third cousin seven times removed and we think it's best for her to go there. And my sister would be heartbroken but would continue to stand on the word. And that happened over and over again. They would call, it would look like the parents were gonna get her back. It would look like grandparents were gonna take her. But through it all, my mom kept her prayer journal. And right when Charlie first came into my sister's home, my mom starts praying and she says, for Charlie God, your purpose and your plans would be accomplished in her life. For her to be a havens, the strength and power and courage to trust in the Lord. And then she writes scriptures and she's praying these scriptures over the situation. She says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still, Exodus 14, 14. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46, 10. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him, Jeremiah 17, 7. And then she begins to pray for my sister. And she says, Lord, for Amanda, peace as she waits on the Lord and wisdom. And then she prays Isaiah 54, 13, and all your children shall be disciples, taught by the Lord and obedient to his will, and great shall be the peace and undisturbed composure of your children. And then she prays Exodus 14, 13 and 14, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And my mom's praying these scriptures into the situation, praying over Charlie and praying over Amanda. And over 400 days after my sister first held Charlie in her arms when she was 10 weeks old, my mom wrote this in her prayer journal. Today, our sweet girl officially became Charlie Grace Havens. Lord, the joy and the gratitude that I feel over what you have done is so immeasurable. King David best described the overflow of my heart and then she prays scripture again in gratitude. And it says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. Your greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will take up your mighty acts. Talk of your mighty acts. They will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. We will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. We have a sword. So dust off your sword this morning. Be diligent to get into the word. Don't let the enemy knock you back and knock you down and hold you down in the fetal position because we have a weapon with which we fight. And so you're asking yourself, what do I do? Yes, I believe now that the word is true and that it's infallible and inerrant. And I see how I need a GPS and I need a light and I need a sword and this is all of those things. But what do I do? I'm gonna to begin to close with this. I want you to turn to the book of Joshua chapter one. 
in verse 8. And this happens whenever the Lord is finally sending the Israelites into the promised land. They've been wandering around the desert for 40 years. And the Lord freed them from slavery in Egypt, promising them to go into this place, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Moses has just died, and Joshua was chosen as the one who would lead them into the promised land. By the way, I really believe that the reason that Joshua was chosen is because a verse in the book of Exodus, and I don't have it in, on the screen, it's Exodus chapter 33, in verse 11, and it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I really think that the reason the Lord chose Joshua is because Joshua made it a point to spend time in the presence of God. He lingered in the presence of God. He was passionate about the presence of God. And he was diligent with it. And so in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord is commissioning Joshua to bring the people into the promised land. And he says, this book of the law, this word shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. See, it's like I told you earlier, our expression of love is obedience to this word. But it's also where we get our life source from. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.